Last Sunday, we began our series, or carried over our series, rather, talking about our children. And there's a verse of Scripture that we looked at last week in Psalm 127. And I, I want you to just see this one verse one more time before we move forward, because I want to use it to kind of set the stage a little bit for where we're headed today. It's here in verse 3, Psalm 127, verse 3. It says, children are a heritage from the Lord, offspring a reward from Him. Now, in that text, we talked about what a blessing our children are and, and how they're a gift from God to us. And so in this We Build People series, we talked about how we're building our children, how we're building up our families. Now, I want to read, let's go to the next verse there. Verse 4 says this about our kids. It says, like Arrows in the hands of a warrior are children born in one's youth. And so we ended last Sunday with a visual illustration of the idea that, that children are, are raised to be released. That they are like arrows in the hands of a warrior. They're raised up and they're to be released. And they're, they're arrows in the hands of a warrior, meaning that they're released with intentionality and with purpose. And, and when our kids are released... They have a destiny, and, and, and it's not just they, they flew the coop, and we hope they turn out okay. It's this purposeful parenting that says, as a man, as a woman of God, as a mother, as a father, I have an obligation, and, and something I'll be held accountable for when I stand before the Lord, of how I release them. Now, once they take flight, it's up to them how they serve and follow the Lord, but I have a... I have a responsibility for how I draw them back and release them. And the word says that that's the way it is with our children. They are to be raised, to be released. But I want to turn a different direction today in this We Build People series. And I want to talk about marriage. I want to talk about husbands and wives. I want to talk about God's plan for you in the home. Because God's plan for marriage is not to be raised and released it's to have and to hold. It's to love and to cherish. Till death do us part. Amen? It's different with our kids than it is with our parents. And, and I don't think any parent here would have a hard time communicating or convincing us that you love your children. There's something that reflects the heart of God in a mom and dad that just you love your kids. doesn't matter if they're uh, you know, the honor roll student, or if you've got that bumper sticker that says, my, my son beat up your honor roll student. <laughs> you know, like, it doesn't matter. You love him. Like, that's your kid. My parents never had that bumper sticker, by the way. I, I just saw it somewhere in the church parking lot. <laughs> but here's the thing about marriage. It's meant to be held. As long as we live. Let me illustrate it this way this morning. One of these days, if the Lord wills it, I'll walk down the aisle with a beautiful bride again. Three of them, in fact. Because I have three daughters. And the plan in that moment is that I would come to the end of the aisle, just as we celebrated a couple weeks ago with Jordan and Nate, and Jordan's dad stood there with her. And in that moment, as a father, I'm going to release some of my responsibility, some of the protective covering that I've offered to my girls up to that point. 
And I'm sure I'll have tears in my eyes and snot bubbles coming out of my nose. But, but when I take my seat next to their mother, something's going to shift. Because in that moment, that symbolism of that moment, what I'm saying to that young, intelligent, handsome, strapping young man, rich, <laughs> what I'm saying to that young man in that moment is this is your job now to protect her. It's your job to cover her. It's your job to watch over her. And, and I'm, I'm relinquishing my, my duty. I'm stepping away from that. But when I sit down and leave that young lady standing there, I'm sitting down next to the woman that I stood at the altar with 18 years ago. And I've made a vow of my own to have and to hold, to love and to cherish for better or for worse, in sickness and in health, till death parts us. Because mar- marriage is to be cherished, is to be held on to. And while, yes, we love our kids, and no one would argue that point, the reality is they're raised to be released. God has a special plan for your marriage that goes beyond your parenting years. And I want to say that at the onset before we talk about parenting, because the danger is, and the trap that a lot of people have fallen into, is that their whole world as Uh, husband and wife became about being mom and dad the moment they brought kids into the world. And the only relationship they cultivated were the young ones growing up in the home. And then after they found themselves as empty nesters in their 40s or 50s, they found themselves sitting across the table from a stranger. Someone they don't really know that well. Someone they haven't really cultivated much of a relationship with. And I want to just kind of put in priority. As last week we talked about children and what a blessing they are and how important they are. and All of that's true. But I just want to, over the top of that, say that your marriage is more important. And I'll say this to all the husbands and wives here today. The best gift that you can give to your son or daughter is not to make sure that they make it to all the games. It's not to give them everything on their Christmas list. It's not to teach them all the the values that you think they need to know. The greatest gift that you can give to your kids is to faithfully cherish your marriage to their parents. To have and to hold till death parts you. So that that kid knows no matter how far they go or how far you release them, they know where home is. And they know where mom and dad are. And they know what stability looks like. It's the greatest gift you can give your kids. I was looking across this audience this morning uh, as we were worshiping, er, worshiping earlier, and I, I just want to do something. Not to embarrass you, I just, this excites me, and I think I know what kind of response I'm going to get. So I want to ask a question here. I want to ask you to participate with me. If you're here and you're, uh, you're an adult, I'm not asking the kids. Uh, if, if you're an adult and you're in a serious relationship, maybe you're engaged uh, or maybe you just got married. You've been married five years or less. Five years or less. Would you just stand just right now, just for a minute? I'm not going to ask any questions. It's not a quiz. I just want to look at all the young couples that are in here. Man, praise God. Awesome. Awesome. All right, you guys can sit down. All right, if you've been married, and I'm just pulling a number out of my hat here. There's nothing significant about this number, but if you've been married I want to say for 30 years, 30, that's a big number, would you, would you stand? 
Anyone here that's been married for 30 years? Wow, praise God. Praise God. That is awesome. Uh, you guys can be seated. So all you guys that stood first, you need to meet them. Because <laughs> they figured some stuff out. And I don't know if I'm going to cover it all in the time I have, but they figured some stuff out. So you need to meet them and talk to them. I want to talk to you today for a few minutes about God's blessing and God's blueprint for your marriage. In this series, We Build People, I think it's really important that we focus on building our marriages. And here's what I understand about the blessing and the blueprint for marriage. If you want God's blessing on your marriage, you need to follow God's blueprint. If you want God to bless your marriage, to give you all the... the, the promises that we see in scripture that we often want to cling to, we have to submit our lives to his plan for that marriage. Because here's the reality, church, God has already blessed marriage. You don't have to ask him to do that. He's already done that. He's blessed marriage. And so if we can come under and submit ourselves to his plan for that marriage, it will be blessed. In fact, I want you to go with me this morning to the first book of the Bible, Genesis chapter 2. I want to read a couple verses to you here, and I want you to see it. If you have a Bible, you can go there with me. We'll put this up on the screen as well, but Genesis chapter 2. I want you to see God's plan from the beginning. Just go to the table of contents and turn right a few pages. Are we there? Genesis 2, verse 18, I'm going to start reading in verse 18. Here's what it says. The Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the wild animals and all the birds in the sky. He brought them to the man to see what he would name them. And whatever the man called each living creature, that was its name. Verse 20. So the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds in the sky, and all the wild animals. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. That's twice he said suitable. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and then closed up the place with flesh. Now this scripture shows us that from the very beginning... Marriage was God's plan. That God looked at everything he had made and he said it was good. And then even before sin had entered the human story, before Adam had ever sinned, before there was any evil, any wrong, any death, any deception, before there was any evil, God said it's not good that man be alone. So then God made the culmination of creation on the sixth day. He created woman. And then he stopped creating because it doesn't get any better than that, right? Guys, don't leave me hanging here. I'm... Thank you. Thank you. Maybe it's the wrong sermon. I don't know. All right. God said it's not good for man to be alone. And then he created Eve. And look at the next verse. It says... The Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. That's, that's the moment 
that we illustrate in the wedding ceremony when the father of the bride walks his daughter down the aisle. The Bible says that God made her and then he brought her to the man. God became the first father of the bride. He brought Eve to Adam. And look at the next verse. It says this. It says, the man said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. That is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. That's God's plan from the very beginning. One man and one woman in a relationship, a covenant relationship for life. That the two shall become one. And what God has joined, the word says, let no one separate. This is a God-ordained covenant from the beginning. And, And as God looked throughout the earth, he said there was no suitable helper for Adam until he made Eve and said, this is right. And this isn't my, my point today, but let me just, in passing, make this point because it needs to be said in the church that if the relationship of marriage is not one man and one woman, it can't have God's blessing. You know, in the state of Pennsylvania, we've, we've redefined marriage to mean two consenting adults. But the reality is, you can change your definition all you want, but you can't change God's definition of what marriage is. And so the reality is, you can't have the blessing of God, you can't have the recognition of that relationship in the eyes of God if it's not a covenant like the one that God established. And when I say something like that, in this day and age, the watchwords are intolerance. That's hate speech. That's what, that's what the world says when you make a statement that is biblical, that marriage is defined between a man and a woman. But I just want to remind the church this morning, and, and we'll move on past this, but I just want to remind the church that the impact of the church in the culture was never promised to be uh, done because of our tolerance. There's no scripture that says we're going to win the world with our tolerance. What the Bible says is we will impact the world with our love. By loving lost people, we will impact the world. But if, if, we, if we offer love without truth, that's hypocrisy. And, and conversely, if we tell the truth but we don't tell it in love, that's brutality. But we have to do what the Bible says to do in Ephesians 4. It says, speak the truth in love. I love the the definition of this issue of tolerance uh, that was given by Josh McDowell a few years ago. Here's what he said. Tolerance says, you must approve of what I do. Love responds, I must do something harder. I must love you even when your behavior offends me. And that's the difference. Love loves even though it's offended. Tolerance says, I approve of what you do. The reality is, God has a plan for marriage. And I want you to see a scripture in Hebrews 13. Whether you're married or not, this includes you. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 4. 
Every one of us have a responsibility toward marriage today, whether you're married or not. Here's what it says, Hebrews 13, 4. Marriage should be honored by all. That's everybody. Marriage, the covenant that God established for a man and a woman exclusively, as long as they both shall live, should be honored by all. Some translations even say it should be guarded, that we should protect and we should defend marriage. So whether you're single or, or married or, or widowed or divorced, we have a responsibility to honor marriage. And so I want to talk a little bit about God's blueprint for marriage as we all try to honor it, as we try to value. And maybe, maybe you're not married, but you're in, you're in relationship with people and... and uh, Maybe you're on the receiving end of some destructive conversation, you know, from a friend who kind of uses you as the, uh, the, the catch-all. You know, you're, you're the one that they vent to every time something goes wrong. You have a mandate from Scripture. You say, it's not, my, it's not my problem. It's not my marriage. No, you need to honor marriage. And we dishonor other people's marriage when we don't have a biblical perspective on it. So here's something that you need to understand that, first of all, God ordained marriage. Marriage is from God. But in saying that, let me say this, it's not for everyone. Sometimes, you know, because we talk about marriage and we celebrate marriage as we should, that we can mistakenly communicate that if you're not married, that maybe you're not in God's will. Or that if you're not married, you're going to get all the, you're not going to get all the blessings that, that God has for you. And that's just not true. In fact, the Bible uh, tells us you don't, you don't have to be married to live happily ever after. The Bible communicates uh, several things. I just want to mention one. In Matthew chapter 5, Jesus is preaching the Sermon on the Mount. And he begins with his inaugural message to kick off his ministry with what's called the Beatitudes. They're called the blessed sayings. These are those statements that, that Jesus made that basically outline what it looks like to have a blessed life in Christ. And some translations would even say that these blessed sayings could be translated as happy sayings. He's saying these are the keys to being happy. And many of you have read them before, but Jesus teaches in Matthew 5, verse 3, blessed or happy are the poor in spirit, for there's the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Blessed are the merciful. On and on. The pure in heart. Those who are persecuted for righteousness. The peacemakers. What you don't find in the list is blessed are the married. You don't have to be married to receive every blessing and benefit that God has for your life. In fact, in 1 Corinthians 7, and we won't turn there, but maybe you just want to go and read that whole chapter if I'm talking to you this morning. 1 Corinthians chapter 7 Paul the Apostle actually talks about the blessing of singleness. So much so that he says it, it can be a blessing that you can be more productive and undivided in your devotion to the will and purpose of God in your life. He talks about singleness as a blessing for people. So marriage is not for everybody, but for those that it is for, God has a blueprint. God has a plan. And part of that blueprint is that marriage is to be a covenant relationship. A covenant relationship. I want to tell you this morning that, that our marriages are to be built on a foundation of a covenant. 
Now, this past Monday was Day and I's 18th anniversary. We've been married 18 years. And our marriage is built on a covenant. But the foundation for our marriage is not the covenant that we made at the altar 18 years ago in Lancaster at the Lord's House of Prayer. That's not the covenant that our marriage is established on. The covenant is much deeper than that. And it goes way farther back. The covenant that our marriage is established on is the covenant that we celebrated just before we made our vows. We walked up onto that platform and we gathered at a table and we took communion. And we ate the bread and we drank the juice to establish once again in our hearts the covenant that our marriage would be built on. See, our covenant with each other is not built on our commitment to one another. Our covenant is built on Christ's commitment to us. The fact that he saved us, redeemed us, loves us unconditionally, enables us to walk in a covenant relationship with each other. The Bible says in in Genesis, the story we were just looking at, in Genesis chapter 2, The Bible describes the beauty of the covenant that God created between Adam and Eve. Again, no sin in the earth, no fault finding. And the Bible says in that perfect place, in Genesis chapter 2 and verse 25, it says that Adam and Eve were there, they were both naked and they felt no shame. That's just a picture of innocence. That's a picture of of faultlessness, of perfection. That they, they were together. And, and they knew no shame. Why would they know shame? There was, shame didn't exist. There was no sin. But then the Bible says just a few verses later, just a few verses later in the story, in chapter 3, in verse 7, it says, Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and they made coverings for themselves. In just a few verses, they went from living in absolute confidence and uh, in purity with one another. And then the next moment, they're very self-aware. In the next moment, they're hiding behind the bushes. They're trying to sew clothes to cover themselves. What happened? Well, for those of you that know the story, you know exactly what happened in that moment. The serpent had come and deceived them and enticed them to sin. Sin entered the human story. And from that moment, all of a sudden, the covenant of marriage, the foundation had been cracked. It wasn't as strong as it used to be. When they looked at each other before sin, they looked at each other in absolute perfection. But now all of a sudden, they felt self-conscious. Now all of a sudden, they were self-aware. Now they saw one another's faults. It was because sin. And so God's blueprint for marriage is not that you would just make a heartfelt agreement to, to love somebody uh, in spite of you know, all their failures. The, the covenant is established on the foundation that Christ has redeemed us, that because of what Jesus did at Calvary, though I am a sinner, though I am, uh, I have something to be ashamed of, the Bible says he robed me in righteousness. He, He makes me clean. And the fact is, the Bible says that God, when he looks at me, he sees me as righteous. 
He sees me before the fall. He sees me before the fig leaves. He sees me as perfect. And the Bible says that Jesus is coming back one day for his bride, the church. And it describes that bride, you and me, as sinless, as spotless, as holy, as perfect, as blameless. All the things we know we're not, but we know we are in Christ because he has redeemed us. How in the world can I live and love someone and get along with them and go through all the stages of life the good and the bad and the ugly, for an entire lifetime. How can I do it? Willpower? No. That's not God's plan. God's plan is that we build our marriage on the foundation of the covenant that He set with us, that God loves us, that He forgives us, that He sees us as spotless. And then we begin to see one another that way. We begin to see one another the same way that Christ sees us. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, I want to speak a word to singles here for a moment. Because maybe you're not married, but maybe you will be someday. Here's what the Bible says about his blueprint for marriage. You need to find someone who is in covenant with God. And what I mean by that is you need to find someone that believes like you believe. You need to find someone that's saved. For all the reasons that I just said, if my love is being built on a foundation of forgiveness and grace and and redemption and, and I'm married to somebody who hasn't experienced that, their love doesn't come from a place near as deep as mine. My willingness to forgive them is so much further because the Bible says, Jesus said, as a, as a woman with a, a horrible past, someone who had a reputation as being a sinner, came into the room and washed his feet with her tears. And all the religious people gawked at her and mocked her and said, I can't believe she would do this. Jesus said in that moment in response, he said, the one who has been forgiven much, loves much. And the one who has been forgiven little, loves little. In essence, what Jesus was saying is when you walk in redemption, when you walk in forgiveness and grace, and you know what it is to be bad and evil and have wrong thoughts and say the wrong things, and yet still God looks at you and He calls you righteous and He calls you holy and pure and spotless. You have love that that is built on such a deeper and more firm foundation than someone that just fell into an attraction and then built a relationship and, and cultivated a relationship. Those things are great. I'm not saying people don't have happy marriages outside of Christ. I'm just saying the foundation of your life, according to God's plan, is that you get with someone that is in covenant with Him. The Bible says a cord of three strands is not easily broken. So when you and them and Christ are walking in unity, that's powerful. The enemy can't separate that. He He can't divide that home. Because it's strong. So I want to tell you, if you're single, you you need to have some criteria. And it needs to be more than physical appearance or bank account. If you want God's blessing on your marriage, here's what the Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 14. Do not be yoked together with unbelievers. For what do righteousness and wickedness have in common? Or what fellowship... Can light have with darkness? 
And when Paul wrote that, he was referring to an Old Testament scripture in Deuteronomy that says, don't yoke an ox and a donkey together to plow. It won't work. He takes that visual and he talks about what it looks like when we get yoked up with someone who's not in covenant with God. It's going to be a struggle. I mean, you might plow that field, but it's not going to go the way that I planned for it to go. It's not going to work. The marriage covenant that is built and blessed is the one that is built on the covenant of Christ. And let me just say this, in case you're here today and you say, well, I am married already, and, and I have a spouse that doesn't, doesn't believe like I believe. They're not saved as far as I know. They don't have a relationship with God. The Bible speaks specifically to that circumstance. Peter actually wrote to Christian women in the church who had husbands that weren't saved. And here's what he said to him. It's in 1 Peter chapter 3. 1 Peter chapter 3. He said, Wives, in the same way, submit to your own husbands, so that if any of them do not believe the word, they may be won over without words by the behavior of their wives when they see the purity and the reverence of your lives. I know it's a tough uphill road sometimes, but the admonition is this. You know what? Don't, don't, try to, don't try to preach them into heaven. Show them. Live the life. Walk the line. Serve them. Honor them. Esteem them the same way you would as if you were married to the most godly man you've ever met. Esteem and honor your spouse so that, he said, not by your words, but by your deeds, by your behavior, and they see the purity and the reverence of your lives. And then I want to skip down a couple verses there. In the same conversation in verse 6, he says this, Like Sarah, who obeyed Abraham and called him her Lord, you are her daughters if you do what is right and do not give way to fear. Now, we don't use terminology like Sarah did. You probably would never call your husband Lord. But what if you honored him in such a way that he felt, he felt like a Lord in his own home? Not the Lord, but a Lord in his own home. Honored in such a way. Here's the two things he said to them. Do what is right. And here's an important one. Do not give way to fear. Because God wants to bless your marriage too. And that's the indication of the scripture. God wants to bless your marriage and he wants to do it through you. God is a redeemer. God can work with very few resources. Doesn't need much. Little is much when God's in it. So God can redeem those relationships. Let me talk a little bit more about the blueprints. There's a scripture. Uh, turn with me to Proverbs. I, I love Proverbs. All these little words of wisdom. There's 31 chapters in Proverbs. Uh, I'm not doing it this year, but you know, several years, I just, uh, I read I read a proverb every day of the month, along with my Bible reading, because I just love these little nuggets of wisdom that you get from the Proverbs. But here's what he says in, in the book of Proverbs, chapter 24, verse 30. It's an illustration for us, and I want you to get this picture in your mind of marriage. He says, Proverbs 24, verse 30, I went past the field of a sluggard. A lazy man. Past the vineyard of someone 
who has no sense. Thorns had come up everywhere. The ground was covered with weeds. And the stone wall was in ruins. Can you see it in your mind? And then he said, I applied my heart to what I observed. And I learned a lesson from what I saw. Can I tell you this morning that marriage is not a gamble where we hope for the best. Marriage is a garden that is to be cultivated. And he said, I looked, I looked at the vineyard of the lazy man, the sluggard. And I saw, the, I saw things had grown out of control. The wall, the protective wall had been knocked down. There were weeds and briars and it, it was chaos. And he said, I took it to heart. I applied it to knowledge. And I want to tell you that, that your marriage is like that vineyard that we have to cultivate, that we have to work with, we have to apply ourselves to. The Bible says in Psalm 128, verse 3, it says, your wife will be like a fruitful vine within your house. Your children will be like olive shoots around the table. It's a garden to be cultivated. You know, let me just say this morning that marriage is built on faithfulness, not on feelings. It's not built on feelings. I, I hear people say all the time things like, well, you know, I just, we just fell out of love. We just, or we grew apart, or I just, don't, I just don't have the same feelings for him that I used to. Let me tell you, feelings change. And marriage is not supposed to be established on feelings. That's not God's blueprint. Because when it comes to your feelings and your emotions, the reality is those things change. You've got some feelings that last forever. Sometimes, though, you can feel anger. Sometimes you can feel disappointment. Sometimes you can feel hurt. Sometimes you can feel rejected. And let's be honest, sometimes you, you might not feel anything at all. But your marriage isn't hinging on your emotions. Marriage is established on faithfulness. Relationships oftentimes begin with feelings, and that's great. I, I mean, we love the honeymoon phase, right? Nothing wrong with that. Stretch that out as long as you can. But there are some people that have never had a relationship that went beyond their feelings. And so after about two years, five years maybe, maybe six or seven, however far they can stretch it out, they come to the place where they say, boy, I, I just, I don't, feel, I don't feel the same as I used to. And that, that's the motivation to say, I guess I don't love them anymore. I guess I don't love them anymore. I'm going to tell you this morning, love is a choice. It's a garden to be cultivated. You can't fall out of love because you can't fall in love. I mean, I know we say, oh, I fell in love. You can't fall in love. Love grows. Love is a choice. You make up your mind and say, you know what, I, I choose you. I choose you. That's what God, that's the gospel. Can I just tell you the gospel this morning? Jesus didn't fall in love with you. You're not that special. He chose you. He chose you. In fact, the Bible says this, Romans 5, 8. God demonstrated his love for us in this while we were still sinners. He chose us. He died for us. That's love. That's why when we stand at the altar, we say for better or for worse. 
for richer or for poor. I mean, let's be honest. We hope for the better and the richer. We hope for the health more than the sickness, right? But that's the difference in a contract and a covenant. Contract says, show me all the details. Let me read all the fine print. Let me initial here, check that box. Initial here, check that box. Make sure I know everything I'm in store for. And then when I get to the back page, I'll sign the contract. That's not covenant. Covenant says, I'm going to take the top page and I'm signing up. I don't even know what's in it. I don't, even, I don't know what tomorrow holds. I don't know if it's going to be great, if it's going to be bad. I don't know if it's going to be health or sickness, rich or poor. But I'm all in. I choose, I choose to love you. And that's what God did for us. That's what he did for us. He said, you're mine. Even when we shook our finger in his face, even when we turned our backs on him, even when we wanted nothing to do with him, he said, you're mine. And my love will pursue you as long as you live. And when we, when we come into a godly marriage, that's, that's the offer that we make. We say, you know what, I... And maybe today you're here and you've been living out of a contractual type agreement. You're withholding your love because they're not holding up their end of the deal. Well, if you would this, I would do that. Well, you stop doing that, so that's why I don't. But I want to challenge you to come back to covenant. To come back to, to the blueprint that God has established for our marriages. Say, I'm, I'm all in. I am all in. Because love is a choice. And I didn't just stand with you at that altar. I stood before God. I stood before God. I want to tell you today, as we get ready to end this service, one more point I want to give you about the blueprint of marriage because I think this is so important in our day and age. That marriage is built on honor. Let me show you a verse of scripture. Romans chapter 12, verse 10, it says this. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Can I just tell you, and I'm speaking from experience, I've talked with a lot of couples. I've, I've had a lot of people sit in my office and talk to me about their marriage. And I just want to tell you, dishonor derails marriages. It just does. It derails marriages. I, I don't know of anything that's more important in a marriage relationship than to honor your spouse. It's more, it's more important than anything else that we just, that we honor one another, that our spouse knows that they're esteemed and valued, not just when you're present, but when you're not, whether you're together or not, to know that they value you, that they esteem you, that they honor you. Here's what the Bible says about marriage in, in the book of Ephesians, and if you want to know what God says about marriage, just, just meditate on Ephesians chapter 5. But in Ephesians 5, verse 21, Paul writes this. He says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And I just want to end today by focusing on two words in that verse. Out of. Submit to one another out of reverence to Christ. Because what we're talking about is the foundation. We're talking about God's blueprint for a godly marriage. How do we build marriages we honor one another we submit to one another out of out of our reverence to christ everything has a, a genesis point 
And, and Paul talks about, in Ephesians 5, mutual submission. This is not dictatorship. It's not uh, one person lording authority over the other. It's mutual submission. Everything that he says after that about the roles of wives and the roles of husbands is in the context of mutual submission. And I don't have time to go through all that he says there, but I just want to talk about where that comes from. That we can mutually submit to one another. And by saying that, I mean to consider your spouse better than yourself. To, to honor them, even above your own preferences. Mutual submission. A lot of people don't have that in their marriage. They don't have honor for one another. They don't have mutual submission. And the reason is because the relationship is coming out of a different place. But Paul writes... The gospel communicates to us that the way we mutually submit to one another, the way we honor one another, is out of our reverence for Christ. That, that's just worship. That's worship. That's, that's saying, God, in every area of my life, it's, it's bigger than church, it's bigger than singing. It's saying, God, in every area of my life, I want to honor you. I want, I want the way that I act to bring you glory. I want the things that I say to bring you glory. I want to reverence you. I don't want to live an irreverent life. Whether I'm on my job or I'm out with my friends, I want my life to reverence you. I don't want to just show up for a couple hours on the weekend and sing a couple songs and tell you I love you. I want all that I am to bring you glory, to bring you praise. My heart, my soul, my mind, my strength. I want to reverence you. Okay, that's my heart as a believer. Single, married, divorced, widowed, doesn't matter. As a believer, this is my heart. I want to reverence you. Now, out of that, it changes the way I treat people. And it has the greatest effect on my marriage. And if it doesn't, Maybe you don't need marriage counseling. Maybe you need to meet Christ. Maybe you need to fall in love with Jesus again. Because if you leave today and you say, you know what? I'm going to try. I'm, I'm going to just try to be a better husband. I'm going to just try to be a better wife. I'm, I'm just going to try to pay more attention to their needs. Well, I commend you for the effort. But you're probably going to fail like you did last time you made that commitment. Because it starts with a heart change. That's why the covenant of marriage is built on the covenant of our relationship with Christ. Because it's out of our reverence for Him that we become the man and the woman that God wants us to be. It's only through Christ that I can, I can see the faults in my mate and still sacrificially love and serve them. And, and as Paul talks about the beauty of this relationship, he talks about how Jesus sees us as faultless and pure. And he says that's how we're supposed to see one another. How do we do it? We do it out of reverence for Christ. So listen, if, if you're not revering Christ in an area of your life, purity, for example, if, you, if you've got an area of your life where you're not honoring God, you're thinking impure thoughts, taking in impure images, maybe even having impure desires towards someone else. You shouldn't be surprised 
that it directly affects the relationship you have with your spouse. Because it's out of our reverence for Christ that we submit to one another. I know this is going to sound a little bit raw, but let, let me just tell you. One of the worst things a couple can do is to mutually agree to enjoy pornography together. Now, I've talked with folks who say, well, we, we both agree it's okay. We do it together. It's not okay. And it's not okay because you're dishonoring God. You don't have a platform to esteem your spouse from. And the way you reverence God directly affects the way that you're going to mutually submit to your spouse. If you can't honor God with your finances, I'm just being practical here. If you can't honor God with your finances, don't be surprised when you have struggles in your marriage about your bills and about how the money's spent. Because the way you mutually submit to one another on how to deal with your finances is directly connected to the way that you reverence God with your finances. If a man's going to rob God in his finances, how is he going to honor his wife? So it all comes back to the issues of the heart and who God is building you to be. The greatest thing that I can do for my wife to make the 18 years turn into the 30 plus years that some of you stood for earlier is to fall in love with Jesus again. Is to, to get up every day and say, God, I want my whole life to reverence you. I want to worship you, God. I want my whole life to worship you. And out of that, I know I'll honor her. So I want to pray for marriages today. I want to pray that God would strengthen you, that God would speak to your heart, maybe about something very specifically in an area of your life where you say, you know what, I haven't been reverencing God. I'm not honoring God with that. And because I'm not choosing to honor God in this area of my life, I can see that it's causing dysfunction in my marriage. I just want to pray for you. I'm going to let the Holy Spirit work in our hearts and lives for a moment. So can we just bow our heads and close our eyes? And I just want to ask you, just to, not with me, not even with your spouse right now, just between you and God, would you just make yourself vulnerable for a moment and just allow the Holy Spirit to do what He does? The Bible says the Holy Spirit searches our hearts. Would you just let him do that right now? Just for a moment. You, it might be the, something you hadn't even thought of all morning. Right now, the Holy Spirit might bring it to the forefront of your mind. As an area of your life where you haven't been honoring God. It's so easy for us to fault find and point fingers and do the blame thing. But this moment is so significant when we can humble ourselves and pray like David prayed. Search me, O oh God. Test my thoughts. Search me, O oh God. Know my heart. See if there be any wicked way in me. And then, Lord, lead me in the way everlasting. So God, right now I'm praying that you would do a work in our hearts to establish the covenant of our marriages upon the grace that you've lavished upon us. Lord, help us today to see 
that we've been forgiven much. And it's required that we love much. God, help us to see today those things that you want to refine in us so that our lives and our marriages could bring the most glory to you. God, I pray today for I pray today for those that are single, maybe are pursuing or desiring marriage. God, help them to to establish their hopes and dreams on the foundation of your word. To not not compromise or sell themselves short for the immediate gratification of feelings. Though we love those and it's great, God, help them to Help them to establish their heart's desires and dreams on the authority of your word. Because your blueprint is good. And your plan is to bless our marriages. So God, I just pray today for this church that this would be an atmosphere where marriages are strengthened and edified. That we can encourage one another. Build each other up in our most holy faith. God, use us to do that how desperately we need the community of faith. Use us to do that, to build one another up. In Jesus' name. I want to invite you this morning to stand with me as we conclude this service.